This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church, located in Mequon, Wisconsin. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please visit our website, myabc.church. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to Exodus 20. Sunday school teacher was discussing the Ten Commandments with her five and six-year-olds, and after explaining the commandment to honor your father and mother, she asked the class, is there a commandment that teaches us how to treat our brothers and sisters? And without missing a beat, a little boy from the back answered, yes, thou shalt not kill. (laughs) We're looking at a very familiar passage today, and I want to read it to start. Exodus 20, 1 to 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreign residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Just two points today as we look at this very familiar passage. We're going to ask and answer two questions. First, what are the Ten Commandments? And the second question we're going to ask is, where is the gospel in the Ten Commandments? We could preach a sermon series and take each commandment one at a time, but the pace that we're clipping through the Bible, we're not going to do that. We're going to take a look at these from a higher level and see how it is they're functioning, how they ought to function in the Christian's life. Let's look at the first question. What are the Ten Commandments? Misunderstanding abounds concerning these, and so I want uh, to take a few minutes to clarify what they are and what purpose they serve, and I want to mention three. Three roles, three purposes, for the Ten Commandments. The first is this. 
The Ten Commandments are a response to salvation, not a means to salvation. They're a response to salvation, not a means to salvation. Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. This is the introductory material to the Ten Commandments. But notice what these words are about. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. People have been, in, been in, uh, slaves for many years. They've been oppressed. They've been abused. Here's what God doesn't do. He doesn't give them the Ten Commandments and then free them from slavery. He doesn't come strutting into Egypt, hand the people the tablets, and say to them, here you go. If you can obey these, I'll get you out. That's not how the story goes. They got out of Egypt in chapter 14. The Ten Commandments come in chapter 20. He first frees them. He first gets them out of slavery. Then and only then does he give them the Ten Commandments. So for the people of Israel, obeying the Ten Commandments is not a means to salvation. That's not the order. The Ten Commandments are a response to getting freed from slavery. Obeying the ten is supposed to be a response to the gift of salvation, not a means of earning it. We looked at this last week, but I want to dive a little bit deeper into it. This is incredibly unique among world religions. Incredibly unique among world religions. All the major world religions, as I mentioned last week, agree on a couple of things. They all acknowledge that life is not the way it's supposed to be. There's some kind of problem. The second thing they all agree on is that they all offer some ideal world or life. But that's where the similarities end. For example, in Hinduism, the problem we face is that we're stuck in this cycle of samsara or reincarnation. And the only way to be liberated from this endless cycle of life, death, and rebirth is to attain enlightenment. Enlightenment is achieved through three paths. The way of action and ritual, the way of knowledge and meditation, and the way of devotion. The key theme that runs through all of those three paths is that the onus is on you to make it happen. Take Buddhism. According to Buddhism, the problem that we face is suffering. Suffering is caused by craving or having a desire for things that are impermanent. And the way to eliminate this kind of desire and thus eliminate suffering is by following the Eightfold Path, which consists of right understanding, right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right awareness, right meditation. The onus is on you to make it happen. For Muslims, paradise awaits those who recite the Shahada, who faithfully pray to Allah, who fast, who give alms, who make the pilgrimage to Mecca. In the end, for a Muslim, the good must outweigh the bad if there's going to be a paradise. The onus is on you to make it happen. So here in Exodus 20... God doesn't give Israel a list of things they must perform, a list of things they must do, 
And only after that free them from oppression. He frees them first. He rescues them first. He saves them first. And then gives them the list of things they must do. The Ten Commandments are not a means to salvation. They're a response to it. If you are a Christian, pointing this out in your evangelistic conversations is of the utmost importance. Because this is the fundamental misunderstanding about biblical Christianity out there. This is the fundamental misunderstanding about Christianity that's out there. Among people who are not familiar with the details of Scripture, the assumption is you get to heaven by your performance. Let me give you a a great example of this. Christopher Hitchens, the late Christopher Hitchens, was an atheist, um, very well-read, fantastic writer. Um, He wrote a book called God is Not Great, which quite frankly I agree with 90% of the stuff that's in there. But in his assessment of Christianity, here's what he says. Just listen. Imagine that you can perform a feat of which I am incapable. Imagine, in other words, that you can picture an infinitely benign and all-powerful creator who conceived of you, then made and shaped you, brought you into the world he had made for you, and now supervises and cares for you even while you sleep. Imagine further, here it is, that if you obey the rules and commandments that he has lovingly prescribed, you will qualify for an eternity of bliss and repose. Hitchens has the order wrong. And he's a very well-educated man. This is the fundamental misunderstanding people have about Christianity. So what, what oftentimes I will do in evangelistic conversations is separate the gospel from religion. Religion is, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. I perform, therefore I'm approved. And I will deconstruct that in front of them. Because what they think I'm doing is deconstructing the thing I'm trying to get them to believe. It leads to all sorts of questions. It leads to all sorts of confusion on their part, which is a great place to start when trying to evangelize people who don't understand biblical Christianity. Deconstruct religion in front of them, and then stop and just see what they're thinking. Ask them some questions. The Ten Commandments are not a means to salvation. They're a response to the salvation that has already happened. Second role they play is that they're meant to prolong and enrich life, not to be a straitjacket. They're meant to prolong and enrich life, not to be a straitjacket. Forty years, 40 years after God gave them the Ten Commandments, Moses reminds them, Moses reminds the people of Israel the importance of them. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 40. This is what Moses is preaching to the people of Israel. Keep his decrees and commands, which I'm giving you today, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. This theme comes up again and again and again in the book of Deuteronomy. We'll see that as we get to that book. 
There's an inextricable link between keeping these commandments and life going well with you in this land that God has for you. So the Ten Commandments are not meant to be a leash or a straitjacket, but a path to prolonged and enriched life. Think of it this way. If you see a little boy playing in the street, completely unaware of the sedan that's traveling at him at 35 miles an hour, what do you do? You scream at him, right? You run out to him. You get him out of the way. You rescue him, right? You save him. Then what do you do? As the responsible adult that you are, you might use that moment to briefly teach this lad about the dangers of playing in the street. Why would you teach him that? You're attempting to prolong his life. (laughs) You know that if he doesn't learn from this, he might be right back out there tomorrow, and eventually this is going to end badly for him. So what have you done? You've laid down the law to prolong his life. You've laid down the law to prolong his life. God gave the people of Israel the Ten Commandments after he rescued them from oncoming traffic. And then he said, if you want to prolong your life, if you want to experience life to the fullest, then obey these. Obeying these will protect you from a whole lot of pain and a whole lot of heartache. Now, with this boy, when you lay down the law to him, not to play in the street, how might he respond to that? He might not like the idea, right? Why? Because you're taking away his fun. As a little boy, who wants restrictions on fun? You're ruining his playtime. You think it's common sense, but he doesn't see it that way. So you might mutter to yourself, boy, if you could only see things from my perspective, you would understand But as a child, there's so many things you just don't know. I wonder how many times God has reacted that way to us. God gives us his law, and we start complaining about it. We read what the Bible tells us to do and not do, and we scream at him, you're taking away all my fun. Don't get jealous of another person's stuff. Sex only for a husband and wife to share with each other? God, you're ruining it for me. I wonder how many times a day God mutters to himself about us, if only you could see things from my perspective. Then you'd understand. But as a small, puny, finite, flawed human being, there's so much you just don't know. It's not a leash. It's not a straitjacket. It's given to us to prolong and enrich our lives. It's in this way, the law is grace. That boy you rescued, what did he do to deserve your invaluable instruction to him? Did he do anything to deserve the law you gave him that attempts to prolong and enrich his life? No. The law you gave him Not to play in the street is a gracious gift to him. He did nothing to deserve that piece of information. Because you're genuinely concerned for his life, you graciously gave him information that will prolong and enrich his life if he listens to it. Listen, we've done nothing to deserve God's revelation of himself to us. We've done nothing to deserve this. This whole book is a gift of his grace. And he's given it to us because he wants to prolong and enrich our lives. He wants us to find an existential satisfaction with life. 
It's not a straitjacket. It's not a leash. The do's and don'ts that God has given us in his word are meant to make us aware of dangers we wouldn't otherwise know about. They're given to us from a God who loves us. Third role that the law plays, the Ten Commandments plays, is a way to bring joy to God's heart and yours. It's a way to bring joy to God's heart and yours. Alastair McIntyre, I think the book is called After Virtue. He's a philosopher. He's got a thought experiment in his book where he, he asks the question, how do you know if the watch you have is a good watch? How do you know if the watch you have is a good watch? And what he says, what he contends, is that in order for you to be able to answer the question, you have to know what a watch was made to do. You first have to know what a watch was made to do. If you conclude that a watch was made to pound in nails, you're going to find very quickly that every watch out there is a bad watch. You have to know what it was built to do, what it was designed to do, what it was made to do. The Greeks have a term called telos, which is living in line with your design. Paul uses that word again and again in his epistles. Living in line with your design, your telos. What were you built to do? The law is meant to show human beings their telos. The law, the Ten Commandments, is meant to show human beings what we were made to do, what we were built to do, and how to live in line with our design. In other words, the law, the Ten Commandments, are showing a watch that is supposed to keep time, not pound in nails. And when human beings live in line with their God-ordained telos, they experience joy and bring joy to God's heart. That's the point of Isaiah 62, Zephaniah 3, and the bookends of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21 and 22. When human beings learn to live in line with their telos, they experience great joy and bring joy to God's heart. So, for example, when two people fall in love, they, what do they do? Can you think back to this? Can you think back to this? What do you do when you fall in love? You, you, you uh, observe, maybe you research, observe, research, uh, you're the one you love, what the other one enjoys, Hopefully the process never ends. Some of us get a little lazy with it, but that's what Valentine's Day is for. If you're married, hopefully you continue to study your spouse. You want to know what makes them tick. You want to know what refreshes them, what cheers them up. My wife is, is very good at this. Uh, she observes and studies me closely. Uh, she knows, for example, that I get energized by a round of golf. What does that do for her? Absolutely nothing. She hates golf. But she knows that it brings joy to my heart, and what brings joy to my heart brings joy to hers. So when you discover what brings happiness to the one you love, you do it. Why? Because their happiness becomes your happiness. 
When you truly love someone, you find all sorts of ways to bring happiness into their life. Even if the thing that's bringing happiness into their life is not something that brings happiness into yours, right? So when you bring happiness into your loved one's life, if you really love them, if you really love them, that brings happiness to yours as well. Okay? What makes God happy? What's on his list? What brings joy to his heart? I would say the Ten Commandments and how they are unfolded throughout Scripture. In other words, human beings living in line with their God-designed telos brings joy to God's heart. That's the point of Genesis 1 and 2, Revelation 21, 22. Isaiah 62, Zephaniah 3. So here's the question. Does obeying God bring joy to your heart as well? Does obeying God bring joy to your heart as well? Or is obedience drudgery? To an extent, this side of heaven, obedience will always have an element of drudgery because we don't perfect ourselves Only at the coming of Christ will we be perfected. However, when we see progress made in our obedience bringing joy to us because it's bringing joy to God's heart, when we see progress made, what what does the Bible call that? Sanctification, being transformed into one degree of glory to another to be made to, to reflect the image and likeness of Christ. So the test whether or not you truly love God is this. Does obedience to him bring joy to your heart? Does bringing joy to God's heart by obeying him bring joy to your heart as well? The Ten Commandments are a response to salvation, not a means to salvation. They're meant to prolong and enrich life, and they're a way to bring joy to God's heart and yours. Let's look at the second question. Where is the gospel in the Ten Commandments? Where's the gospel in the Ten Commandments? Well, what did Israel do to get out of slavery, to get out of Egypt? Did they fight their way out? Did they sneak out? Did they sweet talk their way out? No, they did absolutely nothing. We looked at this last week. Exodus 19.4, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God says, I carried you. I did it all. You did nothing. You contributed nothing to this. This is what Jesus has done on the cross. Through the cross, Jesus says to us, I carried you, I did it all, you didn't do anything. Jonathan Edwards put it this way. He said, you contributed nothing to your salvation except the sin that made it necessary. This is grace. This is the gospel. This is a stark contrast to every other philosophy and religion out there. Religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. If I live right and I do right, I'll be approved. If I perform, I'll get rewarded. If I follow the eightfold path, I'll reach nirvana. If my karma is good enough, I'll get freed from the cycle of reincarnation. If my good outweighs the bad, I'll get saved. A lot of people live like this. Maybe some of you here today are living according to this. 
person who thinks like this says with Christopher Hitchens, if I obey the Ten Commandments, if I live a moral life, God will let me into heaven. That's religion. But here in Exodus 20 and in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have something different. Remember, God didn't give the Ten Commandments to Israel, expect them to obey them, and then free them from slavery. If he had done it that way, that would have been religion. But he didn't do it that way. He got them out of slavery first, and then he gave them the Ten Commandments. The gospel is salvation first, then obedience. The gospel says, I'm accepted through Christ, therefore I obey. Salvation first, obedience second. By putting my faith, my trust, not in my righteous record, not in my moral performance, by putting my faith and trust in the life Jesus lived and the death he died for me, I'm saved. Jesus lived the perfect life I could never live. And he died the death I deserve to die. So that I can be saved by this radical grace. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. Let me show this to you. Exodus passage, chapter 20 what it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See the grace in that verse? I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Let me show you a New Testament parallel passage, Titus chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Do you see the parallel? Exodus 22 and 3, Titus 2, 11 and 12. Statement of grace. I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Titus, statement of grace. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Grace first. Then obedience, you shall have no other gods before me. Titus, obedience, it, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. I'm accepted through Christ, therefore I obey. I'm accepted through Christ, therefore I obey. Jesus lived the life you should have lived. He died the death you should have died, even though you did nothing to deserve it. That's Exodus 20, that's grace, that's the gospel. What do you do in response to it? What do you do in response to it? I want you to imagine you have very wealthy neighbors, friends, 20,000 square foot mansion, Swimming pools, tennis courts, of course, a nine-hole golf course. In the backyard. Sailboats, 120-inch flat-screen TVs in every room in the house, including the closets and bathrooms. Uh, And 
They own one of the most expensive cars on the planet. I always have to research this because it changes all the time. Lamborghini Veneno, $4.5 million car. Let that sink in for a minute. $4.5 million car. Okay, so you have these friends, these neighbors. They come to you and say, we are going on vacation for a month. Would you house sit for us? And you say, let me pray about it. <laughs> you say, of course. Of course. They say to you, you know, everything we have here is yours. Okay, feel free to use it. It's, enjoy it. Right? So, you go play some golf, work up a sweat, jump in the pool, enjoy the 120-inch flat panel wherever you are in the house. And then you decide one day to, to hop in the Lamborghini and take it out for a spin. As you're working your way out of the half-mile-long driveway, you accidentally hit the gas pedal instead of the brake, and you slam it into a tree, totaling it. Four and a half million dollars. Neighbor gets back from their vacation, look at the totaled Lamborghini, and say, it's four and a half million dollars. We're going to have to work out some kind of payment plan. I don't know about your mind, but my mind is thinking, I don't think a payment plan is going to work. <laughs> they think about it some more, and they say, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'll pay every dime. I'll pay every dime. You don't have to worry about it. That's grace. How would you respond to that? Imagine this took place in a really bizarre country where the law on the books for totaling a Lamborghini is the death penalty. You've totaled this car. You know what the law says. Neighbor gets back from vacation, looks at you, and says, I'll die in your place. That's grace. How would you respond to it? You probably wouldn't just shake their hand, say thank you, and then be on your way. Probably not. If that really happened, if that really happened, that event would become the epicenter of your existence. You would think about it every day. You would think about it every hour of every day. Here's my question. Do you? This is the gospel. Do you? Someone who dies for me 
is worth committing my life to. Obedience is not a chore. It's a response of gratitude for the infinite debt that has been paid. Let's pray. I don't know where you are with this. Has, has the gospel gripped you? Has it moved you? Has it melted your heart? Has it captivated you? Do you have a renewed interest in it? This is the time to talk to Jesus. I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I'm going to trust the Spirit of God to do that for you. Maybe you're coming to understand this gospel for the first time in your life. Tell Jesus that. Tell him that. Maybe for the first time in your life, your heart has been truly melted by the message of the gospel. Tell Jesus that. Do some business with Jesus. Regardless of where you are, in your faith journey, now is the time to do that. Jesus, we praise you because you have done it all. You've carried us on eagle's wings. The only thing we've contributed to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. Jesus, I pray for the religious person here who needs new eyes to see and new ears to hear the message of the gospel. Jesus, I pray you would help them experience your grace in this moment, in this place. Jesus, when you save us by grace, you save us to holiness. So I pray our lives would be lived in obedience to you out of a grateful heart. For the Christian here stuck in sin I pray for a fresh vision of the gospel of grace that knows no end bring them back to yourself in repentance empower them to live a life worthy of the gospel Jesus we ask all these things because we want to make much of you that's why we're here we do that now for your glory amen amen